Thank you for waiting. We're now boarding all passengers on No Blackout Dates Airlines. All aboard No Blackout Dates to... Wait. Where the hell are we going? No Blackout Dates. We are Blackout Dates. Good to see you. Good to see you. How you doing? Nothing, nothing really truly all day long like 7-Eleven. Did you join the high school newspaper for the chicks? Lock myself in the bathroom and then just stay there in the bathtub. You're going to get paid to travel all over the world. I would have said, no way, you're crazy, dude. Welcome back to another episode of No Blackout Dates. I'm Evan. I'm Tim. We've got a really great one for you today. And I'm not just saying that because I work here. Our buddy Mike Dewey is with us, a travel filmmaker formerly of Matador Network, currently of Moment. Uh, Dewey's going to be talking to us about how travel has affected his life and relationships, what it's like to constantly be on the road making sick travel films. But first, Tim, as uh, as always, what's new with you, buddy? How's life in Western Colorado? Oh, life's good out here, man. We were up at the, uh, the Grand Mesa this weekend checking out the fall foliage. I'm always hesitant to use the term leap leaf peeping because i think it's the most gaper thing ever but we went up there and did a nice long hike and looked at some trees and got some exercise it was pretty nice all right tim certified leaf peeper professional leaf peeper certified leaf peeper now i know we've only had to do like 10 articles about it this year so i think that makes us certified i've lived in new england my whole life and i don't think i've once intentionally leaf peeped pepped what's, what's the past tense of leaf peeped Pep, pep, pep. I think it would be peep, peeped. I mean, I've peeped some leaves in my day. Don't get me wrong, but I've never taken like an intentional, deliberate trip to Maine just to go peep some leaves. I, I guess I thought I was more basic than this, but I guess not. What exactly is basic? I've always kind of been been confused by that because I think that's a term that evolved, like just after I exited the party scene and became an old married guy. I kind of think of it as someone who drinks White Claws all the time, eats avocado toast for breakfast, goes to spin classes, um, whose music taste never really evolved past 2002. It's basically me. Uh, I actually went as a basic white girl for Halloween for the last like three years, just, just for the yoga pants. You drink a lot of White Claw, even if it's not Halloween. Well, the costume came about because it was like a last minute thing. And I borrowed these yoga pants um, and I was terrified of wearing them because I thought they were going to be super uncomfortable and weird. And they were the most comfortable pants I've ever worn in my life. And now the Halloween costume is basically just an excuse to wear yoga pants once a year. That's what I've heard from everyone who's ever worn a pair of yoga pants. Maybe we should all just start wearing yoga pants all the time. I wonder how many pairs of yoga pants globally have actually made it to yoga i would put it somewhere around 30 percent yeah i put around like 20 30 percent well yoga pants aside we're going to be uh talking to dewey today about how traveling for work has affected his life and relationships he's been to uh, i'm sure over 50 countries and you know traveling a lot especially for work really takes a toll on your you know your day-to-day back home tim you're a married guy i'm sure this factors into your your relationship with your wife as well right Overall, it's played out pretty well. Actually, my wife also likes to travel and majority of the international travel and big long trips I've done in my life have been since I started dating her. In fact, the first few were with her. So because we're both 
so supportive of each other. The fact that I do travel a fair amount for work has never been that big of a problem. I'm fortunate that she's so supportive of me, actually. So you're saying she's not in the next room right now drawing up divorce papers? I hope not. No. <laughs> well, we'll have her on the podcast one day and she can use this as a forum to to really air out her grievances. I'm, yeah, I'm sure she has plenty she'd like to say about travel <laughs> and, and uh, everything else. <laughs> but uh, yeah, what's going on over there in Fort Collins? Been trying to take up golf recently. I uh, played a few rounds this uh, this month. Not getting any better. Probably getting worse. Definitely, definitely getting worse. So I'll tell you a story about golf. When, when I was on my high school newspaper, a buddy and I went to a golf tournament that happens every year in Castle Pines, Colorado. We drove down there. And I used my high school press pass to kind of talk our way into the clubhouse. So we were hanging out with like the golfers families. It's the only thing I've ever actually used a press pass for, I think. My biggest question is, did you join the high school newspaper for the chicks? Definitely not. No, I was on my middle school paper. And before that, I published my own sports magazine. So it just kind of seemed like a natural thing to do. But you obviously joined the middle school paper for the chicks. Maybe. I don't know. I think I joined it because I, I don't know. I was kind of a kind of a wayward kid. I feel like I needed something to do. I was playing baseball. That was like my whole life back then, but I didn't want to admit to myself that I wasn't good enough to make it to the major leagues. Do you think you might ever pivot career-wise and uh, try the baseball thing again? Like go pro? No, man. Like I got cut from my high school team because I was, I don't know, five feet tall, maybe. I mean, Jim Abbott had one hand and he pitched a no hitter. So never give up, Tim. You never know. I never give up on your dream. You know what? I hate to see you do this. I hate to see you have regrets. I don't really think that's relevant. I'm here to support you. The whole No Blackout Dates crew is here to support you. Listeners, if you want to email Tim some notes of encouragement as he pursues his dream of pro baseball, please email them to noblackoutdatespod at gmail.com. We would all really appreciate it. Tim, we're hanging in there for you. Go get them. But speaking of living out your dreams, we've got Mike Dewey ready to join us, and we are going to hop right into it. All right, Mike Dewey, how you doing, man? Welcome to the show. <laughs> doing pretty good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. So before we get started, I know that Evan and I know you as a filmmaker, general vagabond, and and uh, just travel guru, but I'm interested for our readers and how you got going on filmmaking and how you got going on the travel circuit. Totally. Yeah. So I actually went to school for design and I started off doing graphic design and I did that in uh, Los Angeles where I currently live. I started doing graphic design probably, uh, it's been a long time now. I mean, since I graduated from school, so for at least 10 years or so now. Um, and I did that for a really long time. I worked at some uh, different startups in LA and I kind of got on the side into shooting video as a hobby. Um, I just got really uh, in like pulled in and enamored by storytelling using video. And um, it, it kind of started off as a way, honestly, for me to show my family kind of what I was doing um, on some of my trips and share stories with friends. Um, and I started shooting fun videos with my roommate. Uh, and I needed a place to put them and I put them on YouTube. And so I kind of started these travel vlogs, so to say, on YouTube. Um, super cheesy and rough to look back on, <laughs> but like, uh, it, yeah, it was just a fun place to put some of the stories and fun stuff that I was doing on some of these trips online. Uh, and as I started uploading on YouTube, I started noticing subscribers kind of like flowing in and I was like, whoa, this is weird. People are actually watching this stuff. It started to kind of get a little, uh, 
strange in a way, just because I was like, this is so weird. People are actually following. I thought initially it'd just be like my friends and family. And uh, I did this trip to Iceland with my roommate. Uh, we were there for a week and I put together like a little four part fun series in Iceland. Uh, I think I came back and uploaded it all to YouTube. I found music online, like stock music and stuff. And um, yeah, I uh, it I uploaded it to YouTube and it ended up kind of taking off in a way. Uh, I think I had like 5,000 subscribers. Then, it's, then it was like 10,000. And then I kind of got pulled into it and I just started, I was like, it was just like super fun. So I'd leave work. I'd be thinking about it all day at work. Like, oh, how can I make the image look better? How can I make the footage look better? How can I make the sound better? And then I... Uh, I just kept uploading stuff and I kept taking more trips and uploading stuff. Um, and I just loved, uh, I just loved video and I loved, I got kind of got sucked in. This is like, this was like five years ago. This was before like all the travel influencers and stuff like that really ever existed. I guess the filmmaking was kind of a byproduct of just trying to share my fun experiences while I was traveling. It, it was more so travel first and then the filmmaking was just a way to kind of share it. So what's a work week like for you pre pandemic? So for me as a full-time filmmaker at Matador, um, basically uh, once a month or so, once every month and a half, we would be given kind of an assignment to work with a different tourism board or destination. And we would work with a producer who helped us put together, you know, they would mostly spend time on the itinerary for the project and work with if there's an influencer aspect, uh, they would uh kind of work on that and then give it to the filmmaker who would then kind of put together their concept or come up with a concept that they thought was good working with the producer. And then the shoots would would usually be, um, if it was a domestic shoot, it would say three to five days. And then some of the bigger international trips. Um, we did. I did one to Costa Rica. That was a two-week long trip. That was a long one. Uh, we went to Turkey. That was like, I think, 10 days or 14 days. So there were some longer ones. But after we finished the shoot, we'd then come back and then basically we'd be in grind mode, just editing the project, delivering um, versions to the producer who then gave it to the client to get feedback. And then we kind of go back and forth until we came up with the final product, which would be like one kind of branded video. And then sometimes or most of the time, there'd be like cut downs that would go on social. So I I remember one specific night um, I was hanging out with you and Scott in L.A. and we were out at I believe it was a fundraiser for the 2018 wildfires, which seems a yep. world away now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you said something that night about wanting to get off the road and about constantly being gone, impacting your relationships and your life. And I want to talk a little bit yeah. about that and uh, uh, how you've found balance with that and what it was that kind of triggered that desire for change. Yeah, you know, it's, it's really interesting, like when somebody kind of like, uh, when I first heard about the job at Matador, um, it was just kind of this dream job scenario, like who wouldn't want to go travel the world and get to go to all these incredible places and just see as many countries as they possibly could and have this, you know, what I consider kind of like a dream job. Um, and I still think it's, you know, one of the coolest jobs in the world, no doubt about that. Um, I think what I hadn't really thought about too much at the time is how important it is to have balance in your life, no matter what job you're doing. Um, I think there's a side of that that you don't see with influencers online and, and YouTubers and all these other people that travel for work. Um, I, you know, it, it is cool to go to all these different destinations. And a lot of times I got to go there with friends and co, you know, that, that or coworkers that actually became close friends of mine. But a lot of times you're you're working really long hours of days. You're away from uh, family and friends or 
partners. And, you know, there's another side of it that's like, you know, you're in a a random Holiday Inn Express in some random destination. I mean, it wasn't always, it wasn't always Cappadocia and hot air balloons. Um, Not to say that I wasn't, you know, I obviously loved the opportunity and it was a dream job. But I think at some point, uh, I think for me, the tough part was um, that I just started missing a lot of events with friends and things and family, um, which was tough because you're just like, it gets to a point where your friends are like, well, don't bother inviting Mike. He probably will be in Papua New Guinea or something like that. And they, and they just, I've never been to Papua New Guinea, but you just get to the point where you're, you know, people are like, uh, he's not really reliable. He's never home. He's always working, which, uh, you know, I think it, in a weird way, like the travel and the allure of that is a little self-serving because you're, I'm just thinking about checking off checklists of trips and places that I personally want to go. But um, I don't know. I think there was a, a time that it all just kind of like, clicked a little bit. And I was like, man, I've missed all my family kind of reunions. I've missed friends events. I've missed weddings. I've I've pretty much missed all of my close friends activities in their life. And, uh, you know, at that point in time, I was just like, man, I need to, I love traveling and I always want to travel and I love my job. And, um, but I had to kind of make some changes a little bit and find a better balance in my life. Well, it's something to stay aware of, I think, because while in, in our minds, it's easy to think like, okay, I'm the, I'm the travel guy. That's what I do. But to everyone at home, I'm the he's never around guy or he's always on the move guy. Yeah. And that's not necessarily the person you want to be. As much as we might love what we do and we love traveling, that's great. But you have to be aware of the effect that traveling has on the people in your life that you care about. Because if you're yeah. trying to form relationships back home, if you're trying to keep up friendships, being away all the time takes a toll on that. You can't expect people to continue to invest in you if you're constantly gone. And I think that's an aspect of the job that a lot of people don't consider fully and that they that comes to the forefront the more they do it totally it also gets harder and harder not just with travel but i think the more you get into any career that the people you've known for a long time aren't in it becomes harder to relate to people in certain levels because if somebody that doesn't travel much or isn't a big travel abroad person uh or or has a totally different lifestyle than you you're, they're not going to get the same thing out of a conversation of you talking about the trip you were just on as a coworker. It's going to be a completely different conversation. And in a lot of ways, it's going to make you feel like a dick. Yeah, kind of like this elite travel club kind of, so to say, or something like that of how many how many random obscure countries have we been to together and what stories can we share to all your other friends? You're like, that you're like this guy's a fucking asshole. <laughs> you're just like, you're like, oh, no, I just love traveling. It's funny. I think tra- traveling is a thing that is really, really hard to talk about in general, whether it's your job or you just do it for fun, it's really hard to talk about it without sounding like a dick. Totally. It's just one of those things that everyone always constantly sounds like they're trying to one-up each other and go story for story. And it's an unconscious thing. I don't think people think they're doing it. But if I say I went to Alaska last month and went snowmobiling, and the person at the bar I'm talking to is going to be like, well, I went to Minnesota two years ago and I went snowmobiling and the temperature in Minnesota, let me tell you, is about 15 degrees colder than Alaska. So, you yeah, know, 
it's this, it's, it's especially tough when you do it for a job because it's, you can't get away from that conversation. I actually hate talking about what I do because I always find myself feeling like people are trying to one up you when they hear what I do. And then they're like, oh, well, I went to, uh, Kenya to do humanitarian work three years ago. Have you ever done humanitarian work in Kenya? It's like, you know what? So I don't know. It's a weird, it's a weird uh, rabbit hole that, that happens with travel talk. It's just constantly me trying not to sound like an asshole the whole time. Also, I'm convinced that no matter how much they say they do, nobody wants to hear about your enlightening, eye-opening experience in Southeast Asia. They just don't care. I think the number one feeling that people have upon asking about other people's travel experiences is an immediate regret about having asked about those travel experiences. Like people just don't want to hear about it. It's not relatable. It didn't happen to them. They they weren't there, so it's not interesting. It's like talking about travel is like talk is like telling an inside joke to someone who isn't in on the joke. So I just try to stay away from it whenever I possibly can. It's all about relatability to me. And that's why a lot of times when people ask those questions, I always try to give places, you know, if I, if I think about the places that for me were the most mind blowing, I can think about places like Rwanda, which was one of the coolest trips I, I think I went on in the last several years. But I wouldn't tell somebody that I would say, a place that I'd love for people to go check out more is like Costa Rica, which is actually really affordable and a really cool destination for a lot of Americans outside of, you know, the classic spots in Hawaii and Mexico that they can get to for a pretty reasonably price uh, and have like a really amazing, cool cultural experience, a little bit of Spanish, some, you know, but also the comfort of English, some great food and beautiful, incredible uh, views in a really cool country. And I think that's part of the role of travel media that, needs to never be overlooked is that part of our job is to break down those barriers and and to present travel as not an elitist thing despite the fact that some of it always will be uh elitist Mm. in a way that not everybody has access to the time or resources to be able to travel and and beyond that though i think part the main role of the travel media uh good travel media whether that's social media whether that's filmmaking or whether that's journalism is is to present the full picture, not just the pretty side, not just the resorts, but to present travel as a full picture and let people know what they're getting into and on the other side, what they're missing out on by not taking part in it. Yeah. I mean, travel can really open your eyes to a lot of things and help you grow as a person a lot. It'll really pop the little bubble that you're in. And, you know, now more than ever, I think is a great time to expose yourself to those things. Not this year, but, you know, this, uh, the last couple of years and hopefully next year and going forward. Well, the cool thing is that now more than ever, it's so easy to break into the travel industry yourself if you wanted to. Like, there's just so many different ways in. Like 30, 40 years ago, you had to be a Nat Geo photographer or write like a Fromer's guidebook or something. I mean, I don't know how long Rick Steves has been around. I feel like he was born at age 65 or something but like <laughs> yeah and honestly you don't have to have any skills nowadays it's great like you don't like look at look at uh you can be an influencer you can be a blogger like these people aren't exactly rocket scientists look at me i mean i don't have any skills like me and tim are have this podcast we're just a couple of idiots that want to start a travel podcast i mean whether we're good at it or not is another story but I like also how much the entrepreneurial drive of people can be highlighted because if you're willing to put in the time and the effort to actually make something happen for yourself in this space, you will be rewarded. Yeah, I I look back, I mean, when I look back 10, 12 years ago and I was 
graduating from school, I was thinking I, I would have never thought in a million, if you were like, oh, someday you're going to get paid to travel all over yeah. the world. I would have said, no way. You're crazy, dude. Like there's no, I don't even know how to use a camera. And at the time I didn't really, I was never into photography and or filmmaking really at that time. And um, I would have been like, that's Im- not, that's just not going to happen. And I'll say, you know, for those out there and the people that are watching this, I think that if you work your butt off and you're really passionate about something, I think that you can make it happen. Like, and that's a really cool thing. I learned everything on YouTube and um, there's a bunch of resources out there. Uh, Moment lessons, you know, YouTube, whatever it is, there's tons of online learning now. Um, You know, you can, you can make stuff happen. It's pretty cool. Cool. Well, I think that's a great way to close out that segment. Dewey, I did just send you an email a minute ago. We do a segment where we have our guests read a funny travel story that uh, is submitted to us. Love and it. And if you're down, uh, I'd love to have you read the one I just emailed you. It's a Google Drive link. Cool. Are, we, are you guys ready for me to let her rip? Yeah, you're good. All right. A few years ago, I was on a work trip in Paris. I'm a newspaper reporter and was covering a conference in the fintech industry. The conference was three days long, but because I was media and not actually a paying attendee at the conference, I could only get two nights in the hotel where the event was. The final night, I had to stay across the street in a different property. Not a big deal, at least not until I was having dinner in that hotel that evening after the conference with a couple other reporters. We'd been in the restaurant for a couple hours, eating and having drinks, generally wasting time as you do on work trips. The server came over to the table and told us that the hotel staff was experiencing a labor conflict and would be on strike the following day, which by this point was only 20 minutes away. He all but told us that we needed to hurry up and finish our drinks and that we'd be, and it would be in our best interest to be in our rooms by midnight. It didn't seem to be that big of a deal as we'd be checking out and attending the last day of the conference in the morning anyways and then flying home to the States. We slammed our drinks and paid up in a hurry and then we went upstairs to the, back to their rooms. It wasn't until I got back to my room until I realized I'd left my suitcase in the restaurant the night before. I went to try to get it, but the restaurant was locked up and there was no one around. The next morning, when I headed down to the lobby, I tried again, but to no avail. My overseas flight was at 7 p.m. that night. My passport was inside the suitcase, along with my laptop and clothes. All I had on me were my clothes on my back, my wallet, my phone, which, because the charger was in the suitcase, was about to die. During a break, I called all three numbers the hotel had listed, only one of which someone answered. The guy seemed like he could speak English just fine, but clearly didn't want to, and I don't speak French, so our conversation was pretty much worthless. I was now thinking I was going to be screwed until the next day and miss my flight that the paper had paid for. I've literally never had a less productive day at a conference. Couldn't even tell you what one of the speakers was talking about because I was so busy trying to run around and get into that restaurant that I only caught about half of what I was supposed to be reporting on. Finally, at the closing session, right before I was supposed to go get on the train to the Charles de Gaulle airport, a guy comes over on the intercom and asks in front of the entire conference if I would go to the concierge desk. I stood up and bolted out of there in front of like 300 people in the auditorium and sprinted down the hallway to the lobby in the hotel concierge. There was a suitcase and a plain guy that apparently had bailed on the strike to come get my suitcase out of the restaurant. The guy who had refused to speak English on the phone with me actually came through and called his buddy at the protest, this guy, and asked him to go get my suitcase. I wondered if he had told me that over the phone or I was just too dumb to understand. From then on, I'm sure to learn a bit of the language wherever I'm going. <laughs> nice. So I think the, the key takeaway there is in France, people go on strike a lot. 
and dude, they go on strike so often that there is a decent chance that as a visitor, you're going to get caught up in that somewhere, which is funny because that actually happened to me when I was in Quebec City, which is funny because they very clearly act as though they're France in, in Quebec. But uh, I was in a hotel there on a press trip, actually, when the staff went on strike, although I didn't have any nightmare stories about it. The only time I was ever in France, not for work, just for fun, I was in uh, Nice and the plane lands at like nine o'clock at night and our Uber driver to get us to the Airbnb immediately says, so uh, when are you guys uh, leaving to go, to go back home? We said like three days from now. He's like, ah, uh, yeah, uh, no, you're not. <laughs> We're like, what are you talking about? Are we about to get like kidnapped? He's like, yeah, yeah, air traffic controllers have a planned strike for Sunday. So there's there's not going to be any planes leaving here on Sunday or Monday probably until this gets resolved. And we're like, oh my God, in France for less than 10 minutes, the first French guy we talked to immediately tells us about a strike. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the other takeaway that makes me laugh is also just that shit happens when you're traveling. Uh, and I think when I first started traveling, I got really frustrated because I'm such a diligent planner. I'm so type A when it comes to everything. And, uh, I think what I quickly realized is you can't let things, small things like this, uh, bring you down because no matter what it is, whether I was on a matador shoot or a personal trip, like shit happens. Somebody, you lose your passport, your wallet gets stolen. Like if you get worked up about shit like that happening, you're literally gonna ruin your trip like you just have to be like cool of course this is locked and of course this my fucking wallet's gone and you just have to like figure out how to problem solve instead of freak out i still can't stop obsessing over my weather app like a week before i go on a trip <laughs> because you have like if the trip is like four or five days if one or two of those days is raining it kind of like ruins the whole thing so i always look like every day like multiple times a day like Okay, still partly sunny. Okay, still partly sunny. We're good. We're good. And then it always, always somehow changes to to drizzles or to rain like the day before. And sometimes it pans out. Sometimes it doesn't. But I'm always like, oh, fuck. It's like watching a roulette wheel, like a, uh, a ball bouncing into a roulette wheel, just hoping and crossing your fingers that it falls in the right spot when it needs to. You know what I do is I find myself, as soon as I get a hotel reservation, particularly for work trips... I'll go on Google Maps and I'll find the hotel and then I'll figure out what's around there so that I can go get a beer and I can order some food and do this and that. And then I never end up going to any of those places ever. <laughs> I love that. You plan ahead and then don't use any of it. I don't see that so much as an obsessive thing as much as an excitement thing. Yeah, it's like you book sure. the hotel, you book your flight and you're like, ready to go, but you still have to wait like a few weeks and you're like, all right, like, let me go on Google maps and see what's in the neighborhood. Let me look up restaurants. Let me look up, like, let me try and get in the mood a little bit. Get you stoked for the trip and get you excited. Yeah. I spend so much time planning stuff beforehand and it's a way to kind of extend the trip in a way in your head. It's funny. I, I found that I have spent a lot of time on Google maps since quarantine started as well. Like I, not even to places, mostly honestly to places that I've been before. Like I'll be like, I'm going to look at the map of Bali. Oh, here's the, here's the room I rented. Here's my co-working space. Oh, that's that restaurant I went to that one night. Like I'm just finding the places that I've already been to before. It's completely pointless. Wow. That's pretty bleak, dude. Tim's Saturday nights consist of him sitting alone in the dark, listening to Blink-182 and crying while looking over uh, Google Maps of <laughs> Bali. 
Dude, I, I've been I've been sitting on Kiwi just looking at flights, like cheap flights, just left and right. Like, where can I go? Yeah, I feel you. So what's what's coming forward on the moment side and on you personally? What are you working on these days that you're stoked about? Yeah, um, on the work side of things at moment, we are um, we've got a bunch of exciting new lessons that are coming out. Um, I think these uh, what's really great about these lessons is they're kind of a one stop shop too. it's like if you're if you're somebody that learns pretty well online on YouTube and you like watching a five minute video on YouTube to learn about how to make your video look better or how to edit something or how to make sound uh, your audio better. I think what's great about these is they're essentially with some of your favorite creators. They're a full deep dive into learning about their style. And um, there's just like so much. Uh, even for me shooting them on every single one of these, I've learned so much about uh, new techniques and new tricks. And and I feel like I'm growing so much in the last year of just filming them. And yeah, I'm excited because they're, uh, they're just a great affordable way for people that, you know, if they don't have access to be able to go to some big school um, or even if they have a side hobby or interest in things, they can learn a lot from these online courses. It's been something that's been super rewarding to work on and we've got a bunch more in the pipeline and some of the ones coming up are are very very cool i cannot wait to uh until they go live all right man well thanks for joining us we really appreciate it and uh hopefully we'll get to have another crazy night out in la sometime absolutely yeah and i want to come out and uh where are you guys at now are you i was in denver i'm not i'm now out on the western slope in palisade about four hours west of denver but did the the rural, the rural country in the U.S. is the place to be this year. I feel like it's close to the outdoor stuff to do. Everything in L.A. is completely locked down, man. There's nothing going on here. So I'm paying an expensive rent with nothing to do. Yeah, that's the story of 2020, isn't it? Well, thanks for dropping by, Dewey. We will catch up with you later. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Cheers. All right, it's time for Hot Takes. Tim, you ready? ready to go let's do it okay question one if you could choose to sleep in a hotel room infested with rats or a hotel room that reeked of rotten eggs which would you choose probably the rats and here's why i feel like i've traveled enough in tropical areas that i can kind of comfort myself by being above the ground and rest in that but you can't really escape a smell. Like you can't close your eyes and forget about a smell. Damn, you're a brave guy. Uh, what about you can get used to the smell though. You can't really get used to rats crawling all over you. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. That's a tough question because you can get used to the smell. I guess here's a follow-up. Can you open the window? Ooh, uh, I'm going to go with no. The point is to smell the smell. So nope, got to leave the window closed. There, there it is. I guess we'll we'll keep it. I guess I'll close that out with saying that what I would probably do is try to lock myself in the bathroom and get them all out of the bathroom and then just stay there in the bathtub. Yeah, I mean, or you could kidnap their leader and hold it hostage in the bathroom and use it as a bargaining chip. Yeah, I've never really thought about trying to negotiate with rats, but I suppose you could do that. Yeah. Hey, all right. Well, just a suggestion. Um, okay, next question. Would you rather never travel outside Colorado ever again or never have sex with your wife ever again? I think I would choose to never travel outside of Colorado because Colorado is awesome and it's beautiful and there's a ton of places to go. Okay, but what if you lived in like 
a shittier state? Like, what if you lived in Delaware? I know nothing about Delaware. In Delaware, though, my answer might change. I'm not sure. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, it's it's tough because I think age plays a part of that, too. Like, if you ask me that question when I'm 70, it might be different. I don't know. But right now, at 36, I don't want to live the rest of my life without being able to have sex with my wife. Okay, so the answer is state-dependent, then. Uh, fair enough. Moving on. If you had to recommend a vacation destination to somebody you hate, where would it be? Florida. Just all of Florida or anywhere specific? Miami. Have you ever played the Florida Man game? I, you know, it's funny. I have never played the Florida Man game, but I've heard all about the Florida Man game. Well, let's do it right now. All right, so go to Google and just type in your birthday and Florida Man. Not the year, just like your, your birth date with the month and day, and then read the headline. Oh, I got a good one. Mine is July 30th, 2018, Florida man carries alligator into beer store. Man carries alligator into beer store, nice. Uh, let's see, November 30th, okay. I mean, this one's not nearly as good. Florida man guilty of manslaughter for throwing bottle causing fall. Oh wow, that's just grim. But two weeks earlier, here's a great one. Florida man caught fapping at water treatment plant. <laughs> I mean, where, where else would you do it? <laughs> I mean, only only in Florida is a headline include the word fapping. <laughs> exactly. Isn't that the normal thing to do in Florida? You just hop in your car, drive down the street, park at the water treatment plant parking lot, and just fucking jerk off. That's like a casual Tuesday night, right? Yeah. I mean, this because this... The sounds of water being treated sound just like the sounds of passionate lovemaking. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't even watch porn. I just download uh, water treatment noises onto my phone and just use that. Oh, I got a bonus one from this year, July 30th of this year. Man tries to buy Rolex watches with check printed from home computer. Nice. All right. I've got to respect the effort, right? So it means it's just a piece of paper. So we basically just used Microsoft Paint to draw a check for $5,000 and print that out. Love that. Well, that's the last one for me. And uh, shout out to anyone from Florida listening. You guys are killing it. So it's in the background here now, Evan. Would you rather Tinder abroad or Tinder in the US? Oh God, I don't know. Um, I'll say... I'll say abroad, but it really depends on where you are. Like in the tiny village I was staying in, in Greenland with like 26 people in it, I got zero takers, none. I don't think my uh, whale hunting or fishing or trapping abilities were up to par for what the, the girls there expect out of their men. But if you're in Stockholm or Bangkok or something like that, it's a totally different story. And that's what makes it fun, how location dependent it is. But I also, I mean, it, when people say they use Tinder to make friends, they're usually full of shit, but it actually can be a great travel tool just in terms of asking for bar, restaurant, sightseeing, hiking recommendations. Like even if you never actually meet up with the person, you can use it for as almost like a concierge of sorts. Does Tinder, does Tinder tell you like your percentage of accepts versus rejects? Oh my God, of course not. That would be way too demoralizing. All right, fair enough. You heard it from the Tinder expert there. Mm, I, I don't know about that. 
So the best hotel breakfast you've ever had. Hmm. Uh, oh, I have a good one for this one, actually. So it was in Bruges, Belgium, and it wasn't because of the food at all. I have no recollection of the food whatsoever. It was because the hotel lobby right next to the breakfast room had an Afri- a cage with an African gray parrot. And these are supposed to be like the smartest parrots in the world. And as you would walk into the to breakfast, the parrot would like greet you, would say like, hello, like ask you how you are. It would like, you could ask it questions and it would answer. It was the coolest thing I've ever seen. And every time I go to a hotel now, doesn't matter if it's like a nice place or like a Holiday Inn Express, if they don't have a, a African gray parrot, I am just severely disappointed. Wow. That was not how I was expecting that question to go. Cause like I personally love hotel breakfast buffets in Asia uh, because they're actually good buffets and you can get noodles. You can get anything you want at the breakfast buffet. It's not like a shitty American continental breakfast. Yeah. I mean, that sounds amazing, but the problem is I can't do that because the thing about the, the shitty American continental breakfast is it has limitations and I need those limitations. I'm like, you know, like a, like a kid that needs to be told when recess is over or I'll just like, I'll just run in the street and get hit by a car. Like I need there to only be like three cereal options. I need just like a, like some shitty scrambled eggs, um, like a few floppy pieces of sausage. Like I need the breakfast to be enough, but not too much because I have zero self-control. If I walk down to breakfast at 8am and I see all of that stuff, dumplings, chicken wings, noodles, shrimp, all this stuff. I'll be like the kid in Willy Wonka that like falls face first into the chocolate river and you'll never see me again. Well, I love buffets, so I'll remember to not take you to any buffets. All right. Well, that's today's lightning round of rapid fire questions here on No Blackout Dates. To submit a crazy travel story or question to us, email us at noblackoutdatespod at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe and leave us five stars and a friendly review. You can also DM all friendly comments to me at ebbinflow underscore on Instagram and all unfriendly comments to Tim at timwinger1. Thanks for listening and we'll see you guys next week.